I'm Charlotte. And I'm Dina. Welcome to The Grim Curriculum. Fun fact, the day we are recording, January 25th today, marks a full moon, the first of 2024, and it's a wolf moon. Yeah, super cool. For those of you in teaching or the healthcare profession, you'll definitely know about this. Um, Your patients or your uh, students might be a little loopier this time of the month. And you can blame it on the moon, because that's what I'm doing. I mean, you got to blame it on something. Yeah, absolutely. So a wolf moon is marked by, uh, back in the day, villages would hear wolves howling outside uh, in the forest at this time of year. And it's also like coyote mating season and wolf mating season. So that explains that. I'm glad they're having fun. Yes. Um, all that being said, you know, a full moon often brings sort of a ghostly kind of vibe to things, and uh, we have a ghostly story for you today. Before the new year, we ran a poll on all of our social media platforms asking what kind of stories you guys want more of this year. And it turns out a whole lot of you said you want more stories about hauntings. So in the past, we've covered Borley Rectory, which is one of my favorites. It's a gooder. The Amityville Haunting, and of course, our top five haunted dolls, and I gotta say, Letta, He's still on my mind. Honestly, I think about them a lot more than I think the average person does. I don't know what that says about me. I I honestly, I maintain, I will see Leto one day. I think we can make it happen. I feel like it's a possible goal that we can achieve. It's gonna happen. Today, we will be talking about the haunting of the Perrin family. This is a horrifying tale of a family living at the mercy of the supernatural. While you may not be familiar with the Perrin family name, you probably know the movie that was made based off of their experiences. This is the true story of one of my favorites. It's the one that inspired The Conjuring. I love that movie. Like the oh, whole franchise. So good, honestly. Good. The first movie, I didn't know this. It made about $41.5 million during opening weekend. Damn. I was there for it. I was. That's awesome. Yeah. And that movie introduced us to paranormal power couple Ed and Lorraine Warren, who, full disclosure, were, in my opinion, nothing like they were portrayed in the film. No, we have uh, talked about this a few times on the podcast so far. Ed and Lorraine in the movies, power couple, love them. I want them to be my aunt and uncle so we can go, like, ghost hunting together. Right, and we were just talking about this off mic. Patrick Wilson. Oh, 10 out of love, 10. Amazing. Love. And honestly, the movie's pretty fantastic. It is. And you know what? Even the ones that aren't the best, I would say, are still entertaining. That, all being said, praises aside, real life Ed and Lorraine kind of garbage human beings. Yeah, there's a lot of controversy surrounding them. They were well known within the paranormal community, but there are a lot of people who consider them frauds, which at the end of the day, when you're dealing with this kind of thing that many people might not believe in, you're going to get that label by naysayers. I have mixed feelings about them. Mm -hmm. We talked about them a fair bit during Amityville, which again, another one that I love. So you should listen to that after this because it's awesome. I love Amityville. Mm -hmm. Yes. And also a classic. We were just saying this off mic too. How the hell did I miss the fact that Lorraine died in 2016? I, even in my notes, I had it in brackets saying, she old AF. (laughs) So I knew she had passed away. I thought it was very recently, I'm thinking within the last year or so. But yeah, 2016, um, quite a a leap away. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God, that kind of makes me feel old actually. I know, it was almost 10 years ago. Oh man. Okay, so... There are quite a few sources when it comes to this particular case. 
Obviously, the movie is fictional, but like we've said, it's absolutely worth a watch just for the fun of it if you feel like really throwing yourself into this. And also, I will say, as a horror movie special effects uh, lover and fan, it's got some really good spooky scenes that are just done so well. I watched The Conjuring 1 and 2 over the last week, and uh, it's definitely gotten me in the mood for ghosts. I love it. There's also the documentary Bathsheba, The Search for Evil, which interviews members of the Perrin family regarding their experience while living at 1677 Round Top Road, Harrisville, Rhode Island. And speaking of family members, there are countless interviews with Andrea Perrin, the oldest daughter. She also wrote a number of books, including House of Darkness, House of Light, Volumes 1 through 3. She still speaks out about her journey with the paranormal to this day and has an interesting perspective on what her and her family went through. But before we get into their story, we'd like to take some time to talk about the house. Because it has one hell of a history. The history of the home and the land it sits on goes quite far back. And honestly, the more you know about it, the more you think to yourself, yeah, this place could be haunted. The land originally belonged to various tribes, including the Nipmuc people, until a man named Roger Williams decided he wanted it. Roger had been expelled from his own land due to some controversial religious beliefs he had, and therefore decided that he would essentially do the same thing to them. In 1636, he established Providence Plantations. This is exactly the kind of setting that would lead to bad energy and residual anger. Oh, yes. It never shocks me when I hear that a haunted house was originally built on this kind of land. This was a huge piece of land, and fun fact, it was originally surveyed by well-known Virginian John Smith, as in of Pocahontas fame. Also not a great guy. (laughs) No, also terrible human being. Eventually, the land was sold off to various people, including 1,000 acres that went to the Richardson family. Remember that name for later because it's going to come up again. The house itself was built in 1736, and it boasted about 3,000 square feet of living space, so it's a decent-sized home, especially for back then. And quick side note, if you want to see the house, you can find it. It's on Zillow, and it's like one of the most recent listings. A name that comes up often in this story is Bathsheba Sherman. Many who are familiar with the Conjuring story know her as the devil-worshipping witch who killed her baby. While that may not be true, Bathsheba was a real person. She was born in 1812 as Bathsheba Thayer. On March 1844, she married Judson Sherman. Judson provided her with a comfortable life. He would work on the farm while she took care of the house. At the age of 37, Bathsheba gave birth to her son Herbert. Can I just say, that seems like a fairly old age especially in those days to be having a baby oh definitely it's not something you normally hear of at 37 no and i don't mean that to be insensitive by any means um i'm just saying like at that point you were pretty much considered middle-aged oh absolutely and can we talk about the names for a second here (laughs) bathsheba judson herbert's more kind of common i guess yeah herbert bathsheba sounds very biblical i can really does i can see why this probably resonated with the warrens in a way oh yeah now we don't know for a fact how many children she had in total but it's believed that she may have given birth to a total of four not one of them survived past the age of seven 
However, some sources state that she lived long enough to see Herbert get married, so it's possible that he made it to adulthood. There are no census records of this, truthfully, so it can be difficult to separate truth from fiction, especially when the story gets wild so quickly. There are many who believe that Bathsheba was shunned from the community after a young boy she was watching suspiciously died in her care. Others think that she, like in the movie, ended her life on the land while cursing anyone who would ever live there after her. It's believed that that happened in 1849. However, there is a Bathsheba Sherman grave in Rhode Island, and it says that her date of death was 1885. That's a pretty big difference. That's like a 40-year difference. Can you imagine she was just this, like, totally normal lady and did not deserve any of this reputation, and now this is how we all think of her? Honestly, somebody might have just had an active imagination, saw her name on a gravestone, and was like, ooh, she sounds like a real character, you know? Sometimes it's all it takes. It really is. During that time, women weren't allowed to own land, so it was transferred through various marriages. This included the Arnold family, then the Butterworths, then the Kenyans, and finally the Perrin family, who moved in in January of 1971 after Roger Perrin had purchased it the year prior. Roger had been working as a truck driver, and while he did work hard, supporting his wife and four children was a challenge. He was absolutely thrilled to find the 14-room farmhouse for a very reasonable price. And I have a question for you. I was thinking about this. Mm -hmm. If you were buying a house right now, how discounted would it have to be for you to accept that there's ghosts there? Oh, see, okay, there's two sides of me. There is the sensible, life-loving side that is like, okay, no, Charlotte, do not be that bitch in the horror movie. <laughs> You're smarter than this. You literally have a podcast where you do nothing but talk about shit like this. Be better than that. However, I'm a millennial with very little in my savings account, and I do want to own a home someday. So that makes me think that I would be a dumbass that would just basically take it at face fucking value (laughs) (laughs) how many ghosts i'll pay you extra honestly i think i've talked about this before too i would just get in there and be like all right ghosts we can live here together or i can fucking get a priest in what do you want from me that could work out really well or really badly i mean that's true because like quite frankly I'm open to living in harmony. Just, like, don't scare my animals. Don't be, like, at the foot of my bed when I wake up at Mm -hmm. 3 in the morning. Like, you know, if you leave the cupboard doors open or you leave spooky messages on the mirror, like, I can live with that. I don't think I've fully talked about this on the podcast, but I lived in a house that someone was murdered in. And uh, (laughs) it was definitely haunted. I didn't find out about the murder until a bit afterwards, but uh, it sucked. I don't talk about it a lot because it was pretty recently. And honestly, it was not a fun time. I think it would have to be a really good deal for me to deal with it. Unless it was, like, nice or helpful ghosts or even just, like, residual energy. I could put up with that. But this place in particular was very negative and it affected everyone living in it. And it was just bad, bad energy. Yes. Along with Roger, the Perrin family consisted of his wife, Carolyn, and their daughters, Andrea, Nancy, Christine, and Cynthia. 
Now you may know that paranormal activity can be drawn to hormonal or pre-hormonal energy, so a house filled with this many young girls would certainly have a lot of that. Oh yes, it would be like a walking hormone factory in there. And I was thinking about something, and I almost didn't add this into the script, <laughs> but if anyone knows the answer to this, email us, thegrimcurriculum at gmail.com, but do you think paranormal activity increases around people on their periods? I mean, I've definitely heard that uh, women are their most powerful, so if you believe in energy and witchcraft and all that good stuff, I'm sure there's some merit to it. I could see it. They even say it's linked up with the full moon, and that's very powerful too, so it all comes back around. Right. So the move for the parents went fine, and they were all excited to be in their brand new home. That is until things started getting weird. It all began with strange noises here and there. Then items began going missing, which is pretty normal for this kind of thing. And that I could deal with. The stuff going missing, that's annoying. But all in all, not a huge deal. Yeah, I can deal with, like, mischievousness. Then the nighttime visits started. Oh no, what did I say? Don't be showing up at the foot of my bed and shit. And they're gonna. The girls began reporting that in the wee hours of the night, they were being spoken to by strange presences, including a young boy who called himself Oliver Richardson. Oliver took a liking to little Andrea. Her sister corroborated her story, saying that she saw her talking to him and asking him to play outside with her. She explained to her later that Oliver couldn't do that because he was dead. Poor Andrea would also wake up to a female spirit above her. The woman had a bent neck and would constantly tell her that she wanted to kill her mother and sisters. She believed that the spirit felt as if she was the woman of the house and saw them all as competition that she needed to eliminate. Toxic. She was not a girl's girl. Mm -mm. Speaking of Carolyn, she would experience things in the home while no one else was there. On numerous occasions, she would finish cleaning a room. When she returned, there would be piles of dirt placed throughout the just-swept room. That would piss me off. Like, being scared by a bent neck lady, that's one thing. But something about <laughs> having to do constant cleaning because the damn ghosts are making a mess, like, that upsets me. That's like, why are we fighting against me? I'm trying to clean the damn house up here. Like, Don't... be mischievous. Yeah. I'm all for it. Like, a yeah. little prank once in a while, whatever. It keeps you on your toes. But this is downright disruptive. At the end of the day, I'm just trying to keep your house clean, ghost. Yeah, totally. If that's how you feel about it, like, let's work together. The girls were being woken up at 5.15 a.m. almost every single morning, and the smell of rotting flesh would permeate through the walls of each room on a regular basis. Yuck. Roger Perrin responded to these claims by ignoring them for as long as he could. Classic. But it didn't take long until he was having his own experiences. He was probably like, oh, a bunch of hormonal women, what are they talking about? Oh my god, yeah, he's like, these ladies and their periods. Yeah, and then the ghosts are like, all right, buddy. <laughs> One day after talking to Andrea about her experiences, Carolyn decided to reach out to a historian to learn more about the house. When she did, the name Bathsheba Sherman was revealed along with all sorts of strange, albeit unverified stories regarding her. And honestly, this is where the story really takes off. There are obviously many who believe that none of this happened. You're probably going to get that in any kind of paranormal story. Enter Ed and Lorraine Warren. Carolyn was able to find their contact information, so she found them and asked for help. They arrived at the home in 1974 and conducted a seance. It is said that during this time, a malevolent spirit possessed Carolyn who was slammed against the floor, rendering her unconscious for minutes. Andrea remembers this incident by saying, 
I thought I was going to pass out. My mother began to speak a language not of this world in a voice not her own. Her chair levitated and she was thrown across the room. She also said that her mother screamed so loud that she was convinced she was going to die at any moment. I personally feel like maybe they didn't have to involve the already terrified children in this, but what do I know? If we took it at face value, this is a very fucking scary event to happen. Absolutely traumatizing. However, based on what we know, why would you put a kid in a farce like this, really? Right, and the other thing, too, is you have to remember, nowadays, where I would say we are phased a lot less easily because of the internet and more access to scary movies and things like that. This is in the 70s. Can you imagine how much scarier the shit would be then? Yeah, and I mean, 70s is the beginning of your satanic panic. Height of that was obviously more towards the 80s, but, like, with the rise of, like, metal bands like Black Sabbath and, like, Led Zeppelin people are not happy especially if you're coming from a christian background this entire incident upset roger enough that he kicked the warrens out of the house and forbade them from ever coming back they respected his wishes other than visiting one time to make sure carolyn was okay and that was it for them and the warrens Despite everything going on, the Perrin family stayed in the house until 1980 due to the fact that they just couldn't afford to move out. Like we mentioned, Andrea still very openly talks about her experience to this day and still claims that everything that they spoke about really happened. She does agree that the Conjuring movie took a lot of creative liberties when it came to violence against the family, as well as changing the seance to an exorcism, but overall says that the movie was done well. And while Ed had passed by the time the movie was made, Lorraine had not only made a cameo in it, she actually worked as a consultant with the director and writer in order to make it as close to the truth as possible. And when Andrea was asked in an interview how accurate The Conjuring story was, she said about 80%. I mean, take everything with a pinch of salt, but not too bad, all things considered. The house was eventually purchased by the Schwartz family in the 1980s. Andrea Perrin reports that she was devastated by the news. Despite their history in the home, she truly loved it and considered it the place she belonged. Which is wild considering the the experience they claim to have had. And that's where I start questioning things. Because that's a long-ass time to live with malevolent spirits in your house. Especially after being slammed around, as she claimed to have been, right? Like, you were abused by these spirits, if that's what happened. The Schwartz family lived in it for seven years before selling it on to Norma Sutcliffe. In 2019, it was bought by lovers of the paranormal, Corey and Jen Heinzen. They opened up the home to tours as well as what they call gamping experiences. That's right, folks. That's ghosts and camping at a mere three to four hundred dollars a night. You can situate yourself right next to a pet cemetery, a well where seven soldiers were said to be killed and disposed of, a 1960s mobile trailer haunted by the ghosts of children and more. Jesus, they really have it all. There's even a spot called the extraterrestrial portal where you can sleep in the... In the abduction chamber tent. No, we are not making this up. Look it up. The house also offers booking for private events, investigations, and house tours. 
Jacqueline Nunez purchased the home in 2022 for $1.5 million, which was 27% higher than the original asking price. That's a lot of dough. Yeah, no kidding. Who pays 27% higher than what it was asked? That's why I wonder how much money this house is making. Oh, I'm I'm sure it is a gold mine to especially to those who are lovers of the paranormal and the supernatural, a gold mine. And the thing is with the the ghost camping, three to four hundred dollars a night, each one of those little sections can fit six to eight people. Oh, damn. So like this is a business. And that to me makes me wonder, because again, Andrea Perrin still says all of this happened. Everyone says still all of this happened. Andrea's out there writing books. These guys are doing their tours. I don't think anyone can afford to say this didn't happen. In the sense that it has become quite a lucrative business proponent, the thing that makes me question it, obviously amongst many things, is that if it's now basically a glamping theme park, and it's on the sacred land that it's supposed to be on, Mm -hmm. wouldn't there be more hauntings continuously? This seems pretty fucking disrespectful to the land. It does. And they're saying there's all sorts of like new ghosts that they're claiming to have. Charlotte mentioned the abduction chamber tent at the extraterrestrial (laughs) portal. Like they're saying there's UFOs there now too. They're really just piling it all on. As for the most recent reports, Jacqueline says that she hadn't experienced anything strange yet, but that she was really looking forward to it. Oh boy, howdy. As much as I've just said that it was all very like hokey and bullshit, I wouldn't want to invite something like that onto me. I've said it before. I don't fuck with Ouija boards. I'm not about it. I don't particularly believe in it, but why the fuck would you risk it? I mean, really at this point, like you said, they're inviting it. (laughs) Yes, and whether you believe in this or not, I think there's something to inviting bad or good energy into your life, and I wouldn't recommend inviting the bad shit. I wouldn't fuck with it. (laughs) And that, dear listeners, is the story of the Perrin family, the true story of The Conjuring. What do we think? I mean, I I mean, uh, <laughs> I feel like I put my thoughts out there. I don't particularly believe it, but it does make for a damn good story. You know, the thing is, there's a lot of people making money off of this. And not only that, you've got the Perrin families making money. They have made how many movies based off of The Conjuring now? Like, there is, this is a cash cow at this point. And so, for one of them to turn around and to say, hey. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> like... A lot of people would be very, very angry, and I feel like, you know, no disrespect to any of them involved. I mean, if they did go through this, that's terrible, but if they didn't, at least they made some cash. I don't know. I guess so. I can understand from a family with four girls, you know, needing money. I don't really fault them for that, but Ed and Lorraine were horrendously shitty people, as it turns out in the end. I don't like that it made them any more famous than they needed to be. And the other thing, too, is it just shows their pattern of, I don't want to say preying on vulnerable people, but definitely taking advantage of the situation when it came to vulnerable people. And we saw this with Amityville. We've talked about them a couple of times before, and I'm sure before long we'll talk about them a few times more than that because they pop up throughout true crime supernatural history well you can't really talk about american hauntings during this time without bringing them up because if you look up the list of investigations and stories that they were involved in it's huge oh my god (coughs) that was bathsheba 
I guess. She's like, shut your mouth, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Although Ed passed quite a few years ago, it wasn't that long ago that Lorraine passed away as well. And yeah, she was very much still involved in that world. I mean, they had their little museum with Annabelle and Mm -hmm. numerous other haunted and demonic objects and whatnot. So they continued to make a lifestyle out of it and make money from it for a very long time. And whether or not they were legitimate or frauds, they they lived that life and they walked the walk and they talked the talk and... uh, I mean, at least they were committed to it. Very true. All right. So that's where we'll wrap up today. We will end with, of course, giving a huge shout out and wonderful thank you to our dear Patreon patrons. A huge thank you to Mayhem Mudkip, Kevinus Musicus, Judy, Hillary, Brian, Atlantean Jedi, Lisa, and Bob. We appreciate you so much. And if you want to support the podcast in that kind of way, check us out on Patreon. Check out our two merch stores, one on Etsy, one on Threadless. We got all sorts of cool stuff, and uh, I think you'd love it. I'm actually wearing one of our shirts right now, and it's fantastic. Yeah, I wear my kit all the time. And if you do order from Etsy, it's personally packaged by myself. So I usually leave a little note for you guys. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for ordering when you do order. Other ways to support the podcast are super easy. Just make sure that you rate us five stars wherever you're listening. Leave a thumbs up, a comment, tell your friends, tell your mom, tell your dog, tell your enemies. We'd love (laughs) you for it. Yeah, 100%. Thank you so much for listening. This has been The The Grim Grim Curriculum. Curriculum. Charlotte, I've got uh, a few sex facts for you. (laughs) I'm here for it. So the average male orgasm lasts about six seconds. I'm going to refrain from making comments. Go on. The average female orgasm lasts about 20 seconds. Fuck yeah, there is some pros to being a woman. However, pigs have orgasms that can last for 30 minutes, and they ejaculate enough to fill a can of Coke. Bye. Bye. I'm never going to look at a can of Coke the same (laughs) way, I tell you. (laughs) Oh, God.